0: Welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation. Notation is a first check venture capital firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in amazing technical teams and projects in New York City on day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Season three of Origins is sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank and Carta, formerly known as eShares. Silicon Valley Bank is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors, with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. They've been friends and partners to notation since the beginning. To learn more about SVB services, visit svb.com. We use Carta at Notation and recommend it to all the startups we work with. But something you might not know is that Carta has a product for LPs, too. Carta for LPs allows you to easily sign, send, and store K-1s, manage capital calls, review investment KPIs, and more. You can learn more about Carta at carta.com. One quick note before we start. This podcast was recorded about six months ago, when we first closed Notation 2. Some of the language we use is a bit out of date. For example, we're leaving some of the pre-seed terminology behind us. You can visit our new website, notation.vc, to see what we mean. Regardless, we think most of the pod is a good look into who we are and how we think about building notation. So we're publishing it anyway, and we hope you enjoy it.
1: Hi, I'm Beezer Clarkson with Sapphire Ventures, and today we get to do something a little different. I'm going to be the host of this episode of Origins and interview Nick and Alex with Notation Capital. Nick and Alex, it's wonderful to have you on.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Here you go. We're on the wrong side of the mic. This is terrifying. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <Pizarre>, I think. <laughs> Thank you for the introduction. I'm never... This is going to be the first and last time we do this yeah. for the record. Yeah, we may not even publish this, okay. but...
1: So to start us off, you've never actually introduced yourselves on any of the Notation... Mm-hmm. Capital on the Origin series. So would you like to kick this off by introducing yourselves?
0: Sure. That's the way we like it. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Three seasons. In. Yeah, that's that's intentional. Yeah, I, I, I can start. So um, I'm Nick. I'm, I'm one half of Notation. I've been building and investing uh, in startups, I guess, almost more or less since, since college, which is terrifyingly about 10 years ago now. I won't bore you with my whole background, but Prior to Notation, uh, I spent about four years at Betaworks. I worked on a number of things there. I spent most of my time running our seed investing business there. So, For those
1: people that don't know who Betaworks is, which maybe everybody does, but yeah. just in case there's an outlier,
0: Yeah, one um, sentence on it. So I can, I can give the, the brief rundown and I'm, I'm sure Alex will I'll have a bunch to add, but Betaworks is a technology holding company in New York, so it's not structured as a venture firm. Uh, and there were two main businesses there. The first was uh, where we would build products from scratch um, and that 's where Alex spent most of his time uh, and then we would also uh, we would also invest in companies outside of Betaworks in an early stage venture business, but it looked and felt more like an angel business because we invested off the company's balance sheet rather than ever out of a separate fund. I ran the seed investing business there for a few years. Uh, after uh, Andy Weissman left, um, who's another guest on our season.
1: And when you were doing the seed investing is when you and I met, if you remember. Correct. Yeah.
0: We met through Kieran at Blue Yard.
1: Yes, we did. A while ago. Um,
0: he was When he was at Early Bird. When he was at Early Bird raising for Early Bird. Correct. And so both of us thought better and raised our own funds. That's Fabulous. And he backed both of us, actually. So that's great. <laughs> so, so I spent a bunch of time there mainly investing. Uh, and then I also spent a little bit of time at Betaworks. Building a few different products, so I built uh, our, our our community product called Open Beta. I was the GM and um, uh, essentially had a product at a at an equity crowdfunding company that we incubated and launched called AlphaWorks. But mainly during that time, I had the opportunity to to work and get to know my now partner Alex, um, and uh, and that was a a big part of obviously how we decided to start. Notation together.
2: Hi, I'm Alex. I'm the other half of Notation. Uh, I'm a software engineer, been building products and companies in New York for 10, 12 plus years. Um, Founded or worked uh, very early at a number of startups in New York and then ended up at Betaworks also where where I met Nick. Uh, I was the chief architect at Betaworks and started pretty early on. Andy Weissman hired me, I think maybe the 10th or 12th person there, and I guess I've spent a lot of time in my career on two different sort of stages of of companies' lives. I've spent a lot of time in the super early days going from idea to prototype to polished product, launching into the market, and then helping to scale the team, technology, and capital behind that. Did a lot of that at Betaworks, uh, and also spent a lot of time helping to scale companies, helping with... um, Scaling the infrastructure and back backend uh, when they started to have real traffic and, and working on the systems architecture, distributed systems, availability, resilience, things like that. And um, so at Betaworks, I worked on uh, Chartbeat from the very early days, uh, worked on Bitly in the early days. I was on the team that uh, we bought Dig and rebuilt and relaunched that from scratch, which was a fun fire drill um, and worked across a bunch of other properties there. In those two areas, going from you know building in the super early days and then at you know chartbeat and bitly uh, we were you know doing some some pretty high traffic and and help uh, scale the back ends and uh, uh, deal with scalability crises and and fun things like that and so and so that's where Nick and I met and and pretty early on started talking about building something together and
0: there's an infamous Instagram of Alex's knuckles that are bleeding.
1: Is this the bleeding on the keyboard story?
0: During like while he was relaunching Dig. And I don't think anyone fully understands exactly how that happened, but it was something that uh, <laughs> Alex is famous for in New York City. Engineering <laughs> circles. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Engineering is, is a contact sport. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs>
1: All right. So Origins is a podcast about beginnings. What was the spark? What was the impetus behind starting Notation? What was that What's that beginning story?
0: For me, having spent a number of years inside Betaworks, I think like most people that spend long periods of time at any organization, you look at that place and you say, hey, there's a bunch of really wonderful things here um, that I'd like to take with me. And there are some things that, uh, that maybe we would do a little bit differently. And so after four years or so, um, I had always thought of myself as an entrepreneur and wanted to do something new. And Alex and I had always talked about doing something together. And we thought about building a single company and product. We thought about, um, maybe even building a services firm around helping super early stage startups in New York. We thought about, you know, some different version of Betaworks, Betaworks 2.0. And, and what, we, what we landed on was um, what we really love to do, what I think we got reasonably good at at Betaworks is working with companies from day zero through the first year. So helping folks build out their team and, and get a product to market and think through early customer development and raise capital. And to us, it seemed the simplest way to actually do that was to raise a fund. Um, and to invest alongside that service. And so, you know, we spent, I'd say we probably spent a year actually thinking about different, yeah. Yeah, different versions of what ultimately became Notation before we left to give it a proper go. And at the same time, we, we noticed a few different key things happening in New York. So, so number one, there's just so much more talent in the New York ecosystem today. Um, And and particularly technical and design talent uh, that has grown up in companies like Betaworks, but also Etsy and Mongo and Tumblr and uh, MakerBot and all these great new companies. And so we started to notice a few years ago a lot of this talent beginning to leave those companies and start new things. And that's something that's been happening in Silicon Valley and San Francisco for generations. Um, and we just started to see that happening in New York. And, 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 and then at the same time, what we also saw was a number of really good venture firms in New York raise dramatically bigger fund sizes. So really good seed stage investors like Thrive and IA and Layer and others go from, call it $10 million funds to $100 plus million funds. In the case of Thrive, actually $700 million funds. So the nature of their business was changing. And we we thought because of that, there was potentially an interesting opportunity to work with these new startups and companies and founders functionally in the way that we had been working with them for years, but within a, a new structure and new, a new brand and new firm.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, we spent so much time at the very earliest stages of companies at Betaworks going from you know, idea to prototype to product. Uh, and we went through that process many times, something that, you know, at a normal startup could take, um, you know, that whole life cycle can be, you know, a year plus for per company. But we went through that that process maybe, I don't know, 12, 15, 20 times, something like that, maybe more in the course of the four years we were there and, and felt like you know, we compressed a lot of knowledge and experience and learning into that time. And and so, you know, one wanted to wanted to build, continue to build on that working with companies at the early stage. Um, hopefully leverage that to help them. Uh, and and like Nick said, it felt like there was an opportunity there. A lot of people we knew and our friends who were who had grown up in all these companies were spinning out to start new things, but they're wasn't necessarily capital available for them at the earliest stages sort of pre-product or pre-traction. So we we didn't feel like it was necessarily a riskier stage. We felt very comfortable, you know, evaluating these teams and we knew the people and and felt we could make a, you know, make an impact and help them but also assess what they were doing and their ability to execute and you know, even though more capital was available in New York, it felt harder to raise that first half a million to a million dollars than it had even a few years before. So felt like an opportunity.
1: So when was Notation Capital Fund One launched? And can you share how big it was?
0: We probably started putting together a plan and a deck, uh, which was not so great. Um, I think you gave us a lot of good early feedback on that. Cool design, actually. We published it. That's um, right. So that was probably mid-2014. mid, mid 2014, And then yeah. we started raising for that fund, as in going to have initial conversations, mainly with people that we were close to, founders and some other partners at VC firms, um, late summer, probably July, August. And uh, we did actually... We initially were thinking about $20 million for our first fund. And we can talk a more a little bit more about Pre-Seed and New York and why. Um, we got, in my, in my view, probably the single best piece of advice through that process um, from Naval at Angelist. And actually, I think Alex had a meeting with him, and he was basically like, so why are you raising $20 million? And the truth is that we were raising $20 million because we figured that's what we needed to actually pay ourselves salaries and run a fund.
2: He didn't even say why he said, you're raising $20 million, not because that's what you think is the right amount to deploy, but that's how much you need to raise in order to be able to pay yourselves. Correct. Like he backed it out within you know five minutes. He was yeah. like, just raise the minimum amount you need, raise $5 million, start investing it raise it quickly, get out there and, and prove out your thesis.
0: Right so we, we first were thinking 20 after this meeting we went back and I think we said 5 <laughs> which is a dramatic change but it was the it was the, just the amount of money that we needed to get into market and prove some of the things that we were trying to prove which were basically can we attract great founders to work with in New York can we find them earlier than any other firm, particularly the seed firms or what we would now consider institutional seed. Um, Can we be meaningfully helpful to them? And can we get them to the next milestone, whatever that is? So we wanted just enough money to be able to go and show that. And to us, that was about $5 million. We ended up raising eight. And it was from, I, I like to say, basically, it was from all of the above. So it was individuals that we had known. It was uh, a couple family offices. It was a company. It was a venture firm. And it was one fantastic fund of funds that took a bet on us very early, (laughs) maybe too early. And so we, you know, we cobbled it together and it was from really, it was, it was, it was, I think it was the community, our community voting that we should exist and and taking a shot on us early when it was really, it was a deck.
1: So you then launched it fall of 2014, is that right?
0: We launched early 2014.
1: Early 2014. Okay, and you came out with the term pre-seed.
2: I think it was, I mean, we, I don't know how much credit we can take, but I think it was sort of simultaneous, you know, creation of the term. I mean, I think some other people were saying it,
0: but. Manu was, Manu Kumar, right. K nine, I think was, was dabbling around the term at the time. Uh, we went into a lot of these pitch meetings and we, with LPs, and we said that word and we got laughed out of half the rooms that that we entered. We still get laughed out about it It's still kind of a terrible <laughs> term. You know, it, it's, I think we use it hesitantly. Yeah. I think it's the best word that we have out of a bunch of not great options. But what it suggests is that When a founder raises money for the first time now in 2017 or 2018, it's usually not from seed funds. Why not? And that and that is a that's a big. I think that's a that's a big big change since 20 you know five to seven years ago.
1: Why why are they not? Why is that not adverse selection if they're well? The seed funds got
0: started, and you know they got laughed out of the room by the Series A funds, and it turns out actually. They had something. They had something right. And if you look back now, it's you know lowercase and floodgate and first round and some incredibly amazing firms. And they were willing to bet on people early. They were willing to bet on people before they went to the big institutions. And if you fast forward now, five, seven, maybe even longer for some of those firms, ten years, uh, they've grown. It's, it's, you know, they've all grown from call it sub $25 million funds to hundred plus million dollar funds. And the reality is that when you're managing a hundred million dollar fund, the nature of your business is different. I heard, I think Mike Maples say this, you know, don't kid yourself. Your fund size is your strategy.
1: I think I was at that conference.
0: It was great. I mean, that's always stuck with me. Right. And so what I think that's, what that's done is it's allowed A new group of funds and angels to or or accelerators to come into the market and basically run the same playbook. Right. Functionally, it's the same thing the seed
2: funds were doing at that time, but you can't call it the same thing because the seed funds are still categorized as seed, right? Even though they're doing something functionally different. They're not investing pre-product necessarily in the majority of cases. I think what we're doing is is fundamentally pre-traction.
1: So pre-seed means pre-revenue. Pre-product, I think there's a range. I, idea squiggle on a napkin. Like, what's what is the range?
0: So for us, it ranges. Okay. It, it, it's it's anything from a really compelling team, and we and we optimize for teams that tend to be highly product oriented and technical. Uh, so it can be as early as a really interesting product team in a great idea with some market where they have some unique insight into, all the way to maybe an early prototype or product in market and maybe there's a little bit of customer data but it's certainly pre product market fit pre traction and i would also add you know non obvious we're in, we're investing in 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 teams and products before it's obvious that what they're doing is is working
1: is there an average check size and round size that of goes along with the definition of pre-seed, or does it also vary quite a bit? I
2: I think that's I think that's one of the things we learned through the first fund was you know we had an idea of what these rounds might look like when we were raising the fund, and and it was based on very little real data. Our thought was you know maybe these rounds will be two hundred or three hundred k, and if we write a two hundred k check, that'll be much of the round, and we'll fill it out with a few angels. After, you know, 25 or 30 deals in New York, we've seen, Yeah, you know, we have a lot more data about what those rounds actually look like. And so on average, they're closer to 700K in total, you know, generally 500K to a million, but I would say around 700K average. Um, you know, we've been writing 200K checks into those rounds and then filling it out with some angels, a few other VC firms that will write a check into those but but that's sort of solidly the the pre-seed, pre seed pre pre seed round size, um, and and so that you know that certainly informed how we thought about fund size for fund two, uh, but those dynamics were unknown beforehand. But they have come out to be pretty, I would say, relatively consistent over over almost thirty companies so far.
1: So when you were doing that before, and it was called seed. Were there as many co-investors with you at The Seed as there are now? Or is that also something that, I don't know, maybe it's the same, maybe it's different.
0: Just sort of curious about how the ecosystem is in New York. So in New York, I actually don't think New York has changed much at that stage. Um, And if anything, it might be just slightly harder for super early stage product teams to raise capital in New York. and. I think the the major difference, and it's one of the reasons I think our model makes particular sense in in New York, is that the angel ecosystem in New York just never got built out. It's something folks have been talking about for years and years, and it still doesn't really exist today. So,
1: what does that mean for people that aren't that hear the term angel, but maybe don't have the same
0: same so def, same, same
1: sense of what that means, and then how that impacts the ecosystem?
0: I think of a professional angel as someone that typically comes from the technology community in some way, understands it, will write five-plus startup investments a year into super early-stage companies and do that consistently over time. So in Silicon Valley, there's no shortage of people like that, right? So those folks come from startups that have done really well at all levels, Um, There are now proliferation of scout programs in Silicon Valley. Uh, There are phenomenal accelerators like Y Combinator and others. Uh, And so what that means is that if you are a very early stage product team, if you are three people that just left Pinterest to go start a new company and you need to raise half a million to a million dollars to get a product to market, you can probably do that almost entirely from angels without ever talking to an institutional seed or Series A fund. that is not possible in New York It's just not because people don't have money it's New York people have money there are there aren't enough smart angels that understand the technology ecosystem in New York now you can of course there's 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 the one off scenario your your rich uncle or the you know uh, MD at Goldman or whoever else, but the reality is is you you can't. There are just not enough angels in New York that have been through the startup trenches that are consistently writing ten to twenty five k checks to get these products to market. And so, what that means for a very early stage firm like us is that we can really move the needle for these teams in terms of actually leading around, and collecting a syndicate and actually getting them across the finish line to raise their first half a million or a million dollars. It also means that we have pricing leverage in a way that a very early stage firm in the, in the valley probably doesn't. And, and that doesn't mean that we're doing predatory deals, but it does mean that we can own a lot more in New York, and which I think is a really important part of our model working long term.
1: We are going to talk about your fund two, and to bridge to that, are there any other major lessons that you learned during fund one that um, helped you structure or change anything about fund two or double down, whatever it is? What you know, sort of what informed yeah. the decisions for fund two? So, bridge us there.
2: I think one thing we did learn about pre-seed, and you know, we say that no project or or company is too early. I think we did learn of one category that's maybe too early for us, which is when, you know, it's fine if there is a, we are comfortable in some cases investing at the idea stage with nothing executed, fine. But I think in those cases, one of the things that makes us comfortable is seeing a team that has a lot of clarity around what the product is and who it's for and being able to describe that very well, even though... We know that will change and evolve over time. That's fine, but I think we realize that um, when there is not a lot of clarity around the product and who it's for, if it's just this is an area that we're going to go after and we're going to figure something out, that that can be a real challenge for us because then I think what you're doing is funding a search for a product and a problem. And I don't think that's necessarily the best use of, of venture dollars to, to help fund that and, 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 and figure out what it is you want to build, at least not for, for how we work with companies.
1: What else have you learned from fund one that informed fund two, maybe on the portfolio construction or strategy side? And we can have a separate conversation around fundraising because, I'm, you know, when is the investing fund part and when's the fundraising yep. maybe less fun part or maybe fun? We can
0: discuss. <laughs> we learned how to work together. Mm. It's a big one. Mm-hmm. And we already had years, four years. <laughs> but working together in this partnership at Notation is a lot different than working together as co-workers at Betaworks. So, Say more,
1: because we see lots of funds coming together with folks that may or may not have known each other for four years. Some have known each other for for twice as long, and some for half as long. So what what guidance would you give them about? given the experience and what you're talking about.
0: God bless the folks for half as long. Oh, okay. I I just think, you know, look, it's, it's, it's two of us. We spend an extraordinary amount of time together, more time than anybody in our entire lives, including our families. Like any relationship, professional or personal, it takes a lot of work you need to learn enough about each other to know the things you need to work on to improve the partnership long term and give it a chance of working long term so we know those things i think now in a, in a, in in a very specific way 3 years later that we that we really didn't 3 years ago and um and then certainly for the folks that are just starting i mean who the hell knows right who the hell knows what you're what you're getting into
1: yeah i heard a i heard a data point but it's unsubstantiated by any actual data which makes it probably more hearsay and rumor perfect. but it was the, perfect <laughs> just like venture but it was that the majority of funds actually the challenge of majority of funds breaking up in the beginning is through a personality conflict yeah. right it's, it's the interpersonals in the fund that are probably more challenging in the beginning than then the investing. And over time, right. of course, bad investments or, or money that doesn't return will weigh funds down. But it seemed to personals in the beginning that, I don't know, it's like half the funds just don't get off the ground sufficiently because of that. And again, this was sort of the the, the conversational data point, not a, and here's the study, but
2: it and feels it, like I it could mean, be true. I, I can believe it. And it's a long-term relationship too. I mean, That's you're all signing hope so. up to work together for, you know, at least 10 years maybe just through one fund. Well, yes, yeah, so, like
1: most funds actually end up going into overtime. So right, so it's right. more
2: like twelve to fourteen right. per fund. Right. right. Yeah. And yeah, especially when you're on the road fundraising and things like that, you are together twenty four seven. It's a lot of time,
0: and you know, communication channels have to be clear. So I know all of the different ways that I drive Alex insane now.
2: Vice <laughs> <Excellent>. versa. <laughs> Excellent. So all right. and
0: but because we know those things now, we can we can work on them and. We actively do. Yep.
1: So, any other lessons learned, or should we talk about fund two? And you can tell us the good the good numbers behind it, and then we can talk about fundraising and how that came to be.
0: One other big learning for us, I think, has been around portfolio construction and discipline.
1: Subjects near and dear to my heart. You yeah, so <laughs> so
0: so so we came from. Well, what's interesting is I don't know if you'll like this answer, but um, <laughs> all answers are good. <laughs> um, we, if we, there was one way came, of doing
1: anything, we'd all have you know right. written down a book and just cookie cutter it out.
0: Right. So right, and it's it's different for every, not even every firm, but every GP. So we came from an environment that, for better or for worse, was highly unstructured. Part of the magic of BetaWorks was the messiness of it. But the investment business and and this has now changed they've they've also raised the fund since, but the investment business looked and felt a lot more like an angel business than a than what you would consider a institutional venture business and so one area that I think we excelled in the in the early couple of years was in that we were extraordinarily disciplined around ownership, and we really wanted to do the things that we said we were going to do to the LPs for the LPs that backed us. So that meant working with pre-seed companies that tend to be technical in New York, where we could own high single digit percentages. And so I do, I do think that was a really important muscle for us to exercise and learn as institutional VCs now. But I actually think that when I look back, I think we were potentially disciplined to a fault in a few key areas. And I I do believe that there needs to be some percentage of the investment strategy where you can break the rules. And maybe it's not all the rules, but you have all of these little filters and those filters determine a process via which you're managing capital. And I think you need the judgment and part of this requires trust from your LPs to alter those filters from time to time, or maybe not check every single box for every single investment. And so, I think one learning and maybe one mistake that we made over the last few years is there were there were certain opportunities that I think we saw and we had access to, and because they didn't check every single box, um, we said it's not for notation, and so. Going forward, what I think we need to do and what we're going to do is take all that discipline and have that inform the large majority of what we do, but also give ourselves the freedom to know when to break our own rules. So I agree with that. I think the only thing that said I agree with that in a way that clearly <laughs> you didn't agree.
2: I, or in the way there's a I I'm agree angry. with it. But the, the question is, is. The, the outcomes there are still TBD, right? It's just so True. early. So True. there were a few—I I agree that there were a few things that we both regret.
1: This sounds like deals you didn't do, Yeah, just to make it a bit more concrete yeah, without naming names.
2: Not investing yeah. in a few companies that, like Nick said, we had we had access and opportunity to invest in, but they were sort of outside our filters. Um, it seems like they will—as We as we knew then, they will continue to be interesting companies and important for New York— um, but I, I'm just playing devil devil's advocate a little bit that, um, it, it seems like maybe we should have been opportunistic and done those, but it's still so early that, you know, maybe our much more disciplined approach will be the smarter one in the long term there. Who
0: knows? Who knows? Totally agree. So, so what I would add, maybe add to that is that I think when you're, when you're starting out and you're building a firm you're learning a lot across almost every dimension. You're learning a lot about your partnership. You're learning about the your process of making investments. You're learning about, you know, how you can best work with companies. And so I do think in the early days, it is quite important to experiment. And hopefully you can find ways to do that cheaply that don't cost the fund and your LPs a lot of money. But you do learn from these experiments and you're still figuring out you know, exactly how you're going to grow up as a firm. And so those learnings, particularly in the early days and particularly when the fund sizes are really small, I think, I think are really important in terms of in terms of informing how the firm grows over time.
1: Okay. Well, speaking of growing So
0: we'll we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. We'll, we'll all will. find out.
1: In eight yeah. years we can all go right. back and look yes, at the data. exactly. <laughs> Maybe 10. Yeah. It takes a while and venture to know. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But so speaking of growing, congratulations on fun two. Want to give us the headline on it, and then we'll talk about how it came to be and the joys of fundraising. Uh,
2: thank you. Uh, yes, two hundred million dollar fund, Series A, <laughs> Silicon Valley focused, and an opportunity. So, like, is there an opportunity? I'm maybe an opportunity a little, and a growth fund. Yeah, we had a little growth fund to
0: it. Four <laughs> new partners. Yeah.
2: Yes, we closed the second fund. It's twenty seven million, and we have. Uh, will begin deploying it, the very end of twenty seventeen and like we said the strategy is largely the same focused on new york super early teams with deep technical and product dna building pure software products and you know the headline is we will be able to write a 300 to 400k check and reserve a similar amount to follow on we expect to do 30 32 34 investments or so across the life of the fund
0: we feel like what we're what we're doing is starting to work and we want to do a lot more of it in the next three, five, 10, 15 plus years. So, and this is the fund size that we feel like is actually the right size for what we do, which has taken us a little while to figure out. But we feel a lot more comfortable about this fund size in terms of being able to support the founders that we work with in the years to come.
1: So, so when we said things have changed, the difference is really the check size and the reserves? Anything else?
0: Yeah, the first fund was eight million dollars. We had no reserves, mm. so what that meant is we invested about two hundred k into thirty companies.
2: And I think it was a little bit harder to argue maybe that we were leading some of those rounds that were on right. the larger side. I mean, we led them in the sense that we had the conviction to make you know be the first mm-hmm. to make a bet, the first money in, help structure the round. Do the docs, everything else, and help round people up. But you know, there were cases where we were not the largest check in, in a you know eight hundred k round or something like that.
0: The other major thing is that we now have a much better sense of what dilution looks like mm. for some of the portfolio companies. Say
1: more, which is painful. It is painful. It can be. It, yes, it's
0: painful. Yes. So we have a much better sense of what dilution looks like through seed and Series A, and so we can back out a much more thoughtful strategy around reserves and overall portfolio construction for the fund, which we couldn't really do three years ago.
2: Right, And initial ownership.
0: And we think we can, we can own a lot, a lot more um, with the first check by writing a slightly bigger checks. Rather than doing 200, we'll do three or 400. Dilution in the early days is painful. Before companies reach escape velocity... And inf- like some major inflection point, which in many cases doesn't happen until series B or C, dilution is you're looking at 20 to 25% around and maybe an option pool top up. So it's real. And we, we, we think particularly it's a particularly important for us to protect our position through those through those stages. Now, once a company does reach that escape velocity, the dilution number one is typically a lot less. Uh, And then number two is we also don't necessarily feel like we're the right people to be allocating major amounts of capital at series B, C, and later. There are VCs in the market that can do a much better job of that than us. And so that's where we pull back and stop investing. And, you know, maybe there's ways to, there might be ways to enable our LPs to invest in some of those companies, but- we don't view that as our core business and it won't come out of our core fund.
1: Got it. All right. So let's talk about fundraising for notation two. What would you think is useful to share to other GPs that might be thinking about fundraising? You know, lessons you learned, experiences you had. Did it go exactly as you planned?
2: Super easy. Walked in, you know, it was 30 days was, later, docs were signed. <laughs> it was certainly not a breeze. Um I don't think we thought it would be easy. You know, I thought I, I, we, we certainly were prepared for a long road there at the same time. I think we, I think it was still harder than we expected. Across what dimension? Just,
1: it is painful to take lots of long flights and have lots of long meetings and say the that, same
2: story over and over
1: and over. I think. I th- Just making something yes, up for it chance. Is,
2: <laughs> it, it is definitely emotionally exhausting and draining, but I think that. Nick may have a different view. I think that some of the challenges were, if not all, were certainly self-inflicted. I think that we spent a lot of time thinking and preparing before we went out. But but I, in retrospect, one thing we did, I think, that, that hurt us in the early days was um, I think we diluted our thesis a little bit by trying to make it a little broader and more um, encompassing. You know, I think that we had some, I think that we did a little bit of work there to to make it feel like it reflected the actual underlying portfolio. And so, you know, our core thesis has been, we're investing in teams with deep technical DNA and product sense. And there were certainly some cases in the first, um, in Fund One, where, where the teams were not deeply technical. And that's fine. But I think we felt our, our, thesis and materials had to reflect that very accurately. And so as we were working that into the materials, it it actually resulted in something that felt a little bit more watered down. I think there wasn't as much clarity, there wasn't as much focus. And so when we went out to meet new people or to tell them what we were doing, it wasn't always clear to them exactly what kind of of companies were a fit for us, who we wanted to work with, Uh, you know, I think we were trying to be accurate, but, but it wasn't really helping us, you know, they couldn't see the point of view there.
0: Yeah. I have, I have a few thoughts on that. So, well, one, I think overall it went very well.
1: Well, you have a fund, so. We targeted $25 (laughs) million,
0: we raised $27 million and we did it in about six months from fantastic partners, long-term institutional partners. So So that's great. That's awesome. High fives, right? I think you get a hell of a lot better over the course of pitching your story. So meeting number 10, a lot better than meeting number one. The first meetings were not good. You saw, I think, the very first one. It was not good, <laughs> right? And so through that process, you, you obviously refine a lot. And, and actually, in looking back now, incredibly valuable to us and to what we do and to, and, and, and in thinking about the next three to five years thinking about this fund, like crucially valuable. So ideally you're, 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 you're meeting with some folks in the early days that are super trusted that can give you honest feedback and that will kind of crush you, but you'll learn a lot from it. And that's definitely what we did. I, I think to to Alex's point specifically, That was definitely a mistake as we looked back at our our previous portfolio and we said, okay, every single company needs to fit some definition. Um, Otherwise, we're being dishonest and and lying about what we're doing, right? And so I I think somewhere along the line, I had a conversation with, uh, you know, a very well-respected VC in New York that said, you know what, like, if 75% of the portfolio fits into the thesis, like you're good to go, right? Because you make exceptions. And so I, I think that was particularly helpful as we thought about our thesis through notation one and going forward in that the large majority of what we do fit all those filters that we just discussed. Obviously there's been exceptions and obviously there will continue to be exceptions, but By trying to encompass every single exception, we totally lost sight of like Mm -hmm. our core. Mm -hmm. And I think through our first meetings, that was super clear and people walked out, not really understanding our story and what we do. So that was a huge piece. The, The other, for me, one of the other, I would say maybe the biggest learning through that process, well, one, we were much better prepared this time around than fun one, obviously. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. Fund one, we have a slightly better idea what we're doing in terms of fundraising fund two. Hopefully we'll have a much better idea fundraising for fund three. But one, I think we had a much better idea of who to go to.
1: And how did you, this is educational for other GBs. How did you figure out that list? Because I'm thinking back to it an origins episode you have with Eva Ho from FICA, right? Mm-hmm. Where she said they had a list of like, what was it, like 600 names mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Did you guys do something similar? Did you, is, if you break it, I'm, I'm suggesting break it down because I think that's really helpful for other GPs, right? And was that part of the six month timeframe putting it together or is six month,
2: actually we the putting, count
1: post putting the names together,
2: right? I think we were putting that list together for the, you know, the whole three years of, okay. of fund one. I think that and a lot of it we learned through the first fund a lot of the people we were targeting in fund 2 were were people we met through fund 1 but we just had to build the relationship for years yeah. and you know put we put them on our update list we caught up with them when we were you know periodically i think we pitched them for 3 years okay. you know
1: so six months is no sort doubt. of code word for three years.
2: Yeah. No <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, no, I ask this because right. I think it's mysterious how long it takes for funds to raise. And it sounds right. like it happens really quickly. Right. My experience is there's usually a lot of hard work right. in the quote unquote really quickly. And there,
2: there were people we met in that we met for the first time during this process that we knew were not going to invest in fund two, but that we knew we would be building the relationship for, for years to come. And maybe, maybe there'll be candidates for fund three or, or maybe four, yeah. you know, yeah.
0: that first fund, we would meet people who would say, Hey, great to meet you. I think you guys, what you guys are doing are really interesting. Like come back in two or three years. And at the time that was incredibly painful to hear. Cause we're like, well, yeah, Any guess what? Now. We kind of like need the money now. <laughs> so through three years doesn't really help us much. But in hindsight, in hindsight, it's very obvious, right? These are these are real long-term relationships. They're basically impossible to unwind. And over the course that's of the that's a past-
1: podcast for a different day. Get yeah. a
0: lawyer, discuss mm, LPA yeah. terms. Oh wow, yeah, super interesting for geeks yeah. like me. Yeah, and Moving so <laughs> yeah, and and, and so. Basically the 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 anchor LPs in this fund we've been building a relationship with a few years. We did have a list of a hundred people, probably, or a hundred people in firms. And I do think it's really important to build a long list because just the basic math means that almost no one is gonna be a fit.
1: Well, do you have any do you have any sense of metrics, you know, of the hundred plus? Maybe that was hundred meetings. I'm just doing a one to one ratio, but maybe not. Maybe it's
0: we probably had a hundred meetings. Yeah. A lot of them were, were individual LPs. So okay. uh, we also raised a very small sidecar vehicle, which were, you know, we announced. And uh, that is specifically meant for individuals in the community to write very small checks into what we're doing and be part of what what, what we're building. So some of those were those meetings, but there were probably 40, 45 institutions that were real first meetings that we went to pitch that, you know, and we ended up with, I don't know, maybe 10 that were really in process. And then out of that, maybe, you know, three or four that, that, that ended up investing in the fund. So. Yeah.
2: I, I think one, one difficult thing about it is just building that map of the, of potential LPs in in the industry. And a lot of it, unfortunately is, I think, Information that we assembled sort of through tribal knowledge through conversations over a long time with with other venture funds with other lps where it was a very much a word of mouth thing where of oh you should talk to x y and z you know there's not a real it, there there are not many comprehensive lists out there that you can just go look at so you know that's why we did origins in the first place and it is and that is another way that we met a lot of LPs. We learned about more of them. And if anything, I mean, it's a decent sort of map into into the industry actually. Um, but there's not many out there. There's not many blueprints.
0: I have a new theory that through this most recent fund, that if an LP has not already decided that they're going to invest in your firm before you've walked in the room, they're not going to invest.
1: Ooh. So you're saying when people get the deck... Over in email, they're already
0: pre pre inclined or or through the or something about the introduction or like the timing is right, it fits some bucket that they're looking to fill. And maybe that's geography or stage or uh, sector, uh, you know, whether it's life sciences or uh, whatever else, they're looking for you. And so if you happen to be lucky enough to time it just right, and they are looking for the product or service that you're offering. They'll have already decided to invest in your fund before you walk in the room, and if they haven't, they're probably not. That's what consciously, that, do you think, do or sort of subconsciously? subconsciously? No, I think subconsciously. Got it. Like, like they're already predisposed to want to invest in your fund, and if you don't screw it up during the pitch process, basically, which most people do, including ourselves. I, I think they, they end up they end up investing. And so a lot of it is just a lot of it is chance. A lot of it is so right? fatalistic. It's true though. Well, I, mean, I would say uh, it
1: sounds like a lot of it right, right place, right time. Right, which maybe right, that's another right definition place, right for time. chance, but feels a bit like some uh, some organization has to occur
0: for it to
2: right, right place, right
0: time.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, I wanted to ask you, Beezer, as we go from fund one to fund two, and given your experience and what you've seen from other GPs making that transition. What's your advice to us?
1: Well, I think, you know, we've discussed this a lot offline before the staying true to who you are as investors. I don't, I think this is, I feel very strongly about this writ large, being true to who you are as an investor is an integral component to being a good investor. So the fact that, you know, you've thought about what is the right size for doing the work that you're doing and and are going to take off on that foot, that always aligns with how I feel investors are setting themselves up in a favorable way, right? I mean, the future is always uncertain, but at least you're going into it with the knowledge of what you have done, right? And the experience of what works for you and how it, what that feels like from a process standpoint, as well as what the kind of deals you your point about things that you've learned, like when do you stay on point and when do you give yourself some latitude to try something different? Um, and appreciating that mix, if you don't start out with discipline, it's probably... When would argue difficult to get it back later? Mm-hmm. But if you start out with discipline, then yep. giving yourself a little wiggle room feels more logical. Um, so all those who seem like all those trends, right, when you see people trying something wildly different in a subsequent fund, they, they might get it right. Right. It just feels like you're adding a lot of extra complexity and raising the bar potentially unnecessarily high. So you guys are doing but you, you know, I'm just repeating back to you what you said. You're doing the same thing. You're doing it with a slightly different check size. So my typical question to folks is, do you know there's appetite for it? But you've already proven that there is. So that's helpful.
0: I just was remembering, this is very random, but I just remembered a long email that we sent to Accolade. And we wrote this long email and it was like very formal. And then I was, I was on my honeymoon. Do you remember this? I was on my honeymoon and I was like, we were I was taking we were taking pictures with me and my wife. And I was like, you know what? I mentioned I was on my honeymoon. I'm gonna include some pictures. <laughs> Fuck it. It's like a very formal email. And then I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm gonna you know? And then there was like, a selfie. I figured I figured it'd be like, it be like it be like, you know what? Like we're building a relationship with these people. Right. Let's like, let's let's do, yep. let's do it, let's do it. Do the human touch. but I went back and forth on it for a while. And I was like, but it's also kind of like informal and silly, and like. uh," And then I sent it, and then I feel like I was immediately like texting Alex, being like, "Fuck, (laughs) why the fuck did I just send them a selfie? (laughs) Like, how stupid (laughs) is that?" I liked it when I saw it. I was happy. I was, you know, I was trying to create some sense of like personality through what is a very formal. Mm -hmm process and building a relationship beyond just sending deal information and docs and stuff I actually think is is hopefully important through the process because you're going to be working with these people for a long time and hopefully you can have a relationship that feels honest and straightforward and represents who you actually are.
1: Agreed. And the presumption is it happens on the other side, right? I mean, entrepreneur right. to GP
0: relationship is very personal and the level for of sure.
1: these are You'd want. I guess my point is, you you'd be okay if an entrepreneur sent you a selfie from their
0: honeymoon, right? For sure, absolutely.
1: Well, that goes to your point of this is a personality, and yeah. people choose investors and investments for. We make range that of reasons. investment
0: every time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, now everybody knows <laughs> <laughs> the code to notations investment yeah. strategy.
0: Was, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Anything else you want to add, Alex?
0: Nope. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank well, you. I was
1: going to say, my final thing was say, yes. thank, thank you, you for letting me turn the tables and be the moderator, because it is a lot easier than being the interviewee. It's so much better.
0: <laughs> but Beezer, thank you, seriously, for all your support. Thank you. From oh, day one. It's been, been an been, honor. There's been no person more supportive to us and to Notation. We're forever grateful, and uh, we're going to try to make you proud out there.
2: This podcast was created by Nick Charles and Alex Lines, partners at Notation. Notation is a 1st check venture capital firm in New York. We work with technical founding teams in the trenches from day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to Carta for sponsoring this episode. eShares is now Carta. We use the product at Notation and recommend it to all the companies we work with. Carta also has a product specifically for LPs, Carta for LPs allows you to easily manage K-1s, capital calls, investment KPIs, and more. If you want to learn more about Carta for LPs, visit carta.com. We'd also like to thank Silicon Valley Bank. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors. Their experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the SVB team for advice on strategic, operational, and tactical issues and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. If you like this episode, please share and remember to tag it with the hashtag OpenLP.